It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That created stocks with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a fatigue, listen to yourself, the world, but there's no need to be in your own head. Beat it up and I repeat, got no sleep, the ladder, put the platter with the fear, fight down, like fire in the fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. Hey, friends no. and neighbors. And boom. And boom. Right, because it's the 4th of July. Yes, you got right. it. <laughs> Absolutely. Very, very good. Those are the fireworks. <laughs> I'm not very good with sound effects. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom <laughs> Survival Medicine Hour, a powerful paragon of patriotism in a petty world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find close to 700 posts, videos, podcasts, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm a man on a mission, and that's to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. And... I am Amy Alton. I'm a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And the... Hostess? With the mostest. Absolutely. <laughs> the blonde bombshell with a terrific personality. Thank you. Yes, but I don't have any fireworks. We oh. didn't get any fireworks this year. Yes. Well, probably the safest thing. We're going to talk about that in I know. just a minute. It, well, not only is it safer for us personally, but safer for our environment. It has not been raining here in South Florida. No, that's true. It's the, been pretty dry. The grass is dry. The trees are dry. Aha. Uh-huh. Light up like a match, probably. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, we are the Watchers on the Wall, and we watch it all for you to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends, have you been injured in an accident with a licentious llama? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nursing Me strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. Ah, but we are here to help if it isn't. Now, what's the stuff, McDuff? We learn as much from you as you do from us, so... Give us a ring. It's easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Absolutely. You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast. That's D-R-B-O-N-E-S. B-O-N-E-S. Yes, yeah. <laughs> P-O-D-C-A-S-T at 
AOL.com. Yes, we're still using AOL. Wow. <laughs> we're dinosaurs last over here. I know. Ones. I know. People laugh when they <laughs> see that. I don't care. It's easy for me. Or find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can also follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, and our video cast which is the first and third Wednesday of every month at AroundTheCabin.com. Wow, that is a Campfire lot. Campfire chat. Yep, around the camp, AroundTheCabin.com uh, forward slash Wednesday. Or forward slash, yeah, forward slash Wednesdays. But if they go on the homepage, they can push on Campfire chat. Campfire chat. Yeah, I got right. it right. That's right. <laughs> wow, well, that is a lot of stuff. We're doing too much. We're I'm too I old know, for this. I know. Well, that is something that we have got to deal with. However, we still have more. Our more. website at doomandbloom.net has everything you need medically to succeed, even if everything else fails. Check out our articles in leading magazines, too, like Survival Quarterly, Backwoods Home, Prepare, Survivalist, Prepper and Shooter, and in links from over a 1,000 great preparedness websites throughout the mm. Internet. Well, indeed, this show is being recorded on the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to everyone and you know what many americans will be celebrating tonight with fireworks oh and yes yes and it's not us but, <laughs> but i'm so sad uh, well don't be so sad because an unlucky or is it careless mm -hmm. few are gonna wind up running afoul of their own pyrotechnics just ask my old buddy three-fingered fred <laughs> i remember him whatever yes, happened to him, him. well he's <laughs> Oh, you know what? He's letting out, his three fingers do the walk. He's out hanging out with uh, Dr. Bones, the, the Skeletor Dr. <laughs> yeah. Bones. Uh, well, let's face it, guys out there and gals, that the safest way to enjoy fireworks is to be a spectator at your hometown's 4th of July event. Mm -hmm. Statistics show that from June 20th to July 20th, that was last year, Fireworks sent an average of 230 people to the hospital on a daily basis in the U.S. So what you're saying is a lot of people got started early. They got Yeah, a lot of people start <laughs> early. In June. I don't know why they do that, but in that month, uh, there was a big jump. And I guess as fireworks uh, kiosks and, they and go the on little sale. Tent fireworks they tents come open up. up. Right, right. That's probably the date, June 20th last year that all the kiosks or, right. or start, uh, temporary stores. Tents, you know, the tents, tents open up right, on the road. Right on the road side of the road <laughs> uh, this is a serious thing you know there were nine deaths recorded and two of those people weren't even the people using the fireworks mm. you know throughout 2014 there were a total of 10,400 fireworks injuries treated in local emergency rooms and this doesn't take into account damage caused by fires uh, both outside fires fires and structures caused by all this kabooming and it totaled millions of dollars worth of damage now most that is, about three-quarters of fireworks-related injuries involve the fingers, hands, face, including the eyes, and head. Things that you probably want to keep, right? Absolutely. Well, I can understand the hand, but the crazy thing is the, the face must be because it just blows up in their hand, and they get probably lots of injuries all at once. Right. Probably don't just get burns on your face. If it's that close to you, it's probably got your hands, too. That's right. Well, some multiple injuries all at once. I mean, I see these shows, uh, oh. World's Dumbest, and I see people holding oh these gosh. in their hands. They're putting them in places that you don't want to know. And, and they're lighting just, short fuses. And then lighting it, and it just oh. goes boom. 
So it's amazing. The majority of injuries, as you can imagine, are burns of various degrees. Right. Um, firecrackers, by the way, are the of all the different types of fireworks, mm -hmm. are the most common to cause injuries. Injury. That's right. Now, most fireworks injuries... We used injuries... to do crazy things with firecrackers when I was a kid. Oh, boy. <laughs> what did you do? Oh, I am absolutely sure we did something you're going to say that should not be done. That no one should do. I'm sure we dropped them into glass bottles. No, that is I know. very bad. By I'm the sure way, that is one that. of my tips. All right, well, anyhow, don't, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> and that was when you were a child or a Kid, teen, right? when we yeah. lived in Georgia. All right, there well. There was no, we didn't have any neighbors. Well, we weren't going to injure anyone else, just ourselves. Okay, well. Silly in, kids. Well, indeed, most fireworks injuries are seen in uh, children or in teens yeah. on super on supervised use of fireworks by kids, man, that is a very bad idea. <sighs> I mean, I was on the beach uh, years ago watching mm -hmm. fireworks one July Fourth, and it was it was like a war zone. I mean, it was like you know hitting the beach on D Day because that's how much you had to duck. Yeah, I, and duck I'm, and cover. Right, I was almost hit by a, a bottle rocket lit by a kid. It wound up, I mean, it went right by my well, you head. You can hear those. It goes. Yeah. Yeah, you don't hear them in time. Usually, no. you can't duck. No. Usually. So I've got some fireworks safety tips, and this is really tips using any you know associated with any explosives uh, or fireworks that'll keep your family safe tonight, on Independence Day, or in Independence Days in the future. Well, I promise I'll have all my fingers tomorrow. All right. Because well, we won't be lighting yeah, any. Right. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Now. Uh, of course, only buy legal fireworks for personal use. There are fireworks that you can buy that these are the, that you might find wrapped in brown paper. Now, these are the professional display fireworks. These are meant to be used by the pros. They're dangerous to the novice. They are big, lots of firepower, firepower in them. And if you do them wrong, you are going to be in big trouble. Serious problem. I, right. I believe that some of our neighbors over the years have used those. Oh, yeah. Because... Our, our city puts off fireworks, not every single year, but they do. And what we'll see is just down the block or a, blo a block or two away, we'll actually see and other fireworks the fireworks well, yeah. going. And they go pretty high, and they yeah. explode just yeah, like the city impressive. ones. They yeah. don't go as high. But yeah. you can tell they're a profession, definitely a professional grade, well, just not as big. Right, exactly. They're not the ones that you buy in Costco or Walmart no, or bigger. those other places, or these ones on definitely the side Definitely bigger. I don't know where they get them. I don't know where they bigger. get them, but somebody's supplying them. Now, never allow children to play with or light fireworks, even sparklers. Sparklers reach a temperature of up to 2,000 degrees. That's as hot as a blowtorch. I'm sure I've burnt myself on sparklers. We so, always had sparklers. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> never, you are, you're getting, you're my poster girl. Well, oh, you know what, my brother, my brother and I used to play swords with them. Oh, no, oh guess what? <laughs> Never point fireworks at another. We're trying to poke each other. Okay, well, guess what? Never point fireworks. That's my other next tip. Never point fireworks at another person. So no Roman candle duels. I'm the anti-safety okay. child. I guess we you were. We had a lot of fun, though. I guess you were. I hope things have changed. Chasing each other with the sparklers, screaming, uh, no! <laughs> my gosh. My dad's saying, don't hurt each other. <laughs> Always light fireworks one at a time. Back off quickly after you light the firework. And right. for goodness sake, don't light, don't put your body directly over 
a firework no, when we never you're did lighting that. it. No, we never did that. All right. Well, good. That's something. And we still That's have something all, at we, least. And we still have all of our fingers mm -hmm. and all of the parts of our faces. Okay. So. As I said, don't put, <laughs> and you did as a kid, don't put fireworks in metal cans or glass jars, especially as a base for bottle rockets and stuff like that. If they explode, there could be shrapnel. You could get injured from flying glass or metal. The problem is it's so much fun to see things <laughs> blow up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. When you're a kid, it's yeah. exciting and the sound and the colors. And this is why you have to have adult supervision closer. That's right. And of Very course, close. <laughs> and also, I want people always have a bucket of water handy or a garden hose. That is an on excellent the, yeah, idea. Nearby in case excellent. of fire or burns. I don't think most people think of that. Right. Of having a, some sort of water source. And I would even say, you know, if you're talking about bucket, you go for the five-gallon bucket of water. So if someone gets seriously mm -hmm. injured or an area gets on caught on fire, that you have yeah, get a, a big copious well, amount of water. Lowe's or Home Depot buckets. Yeah, all five, two or three of gallons, them if yeah. you can fill them up. And if you don't use them, great. You just dump them out. But right. uh, at least you have some source of water because especially if you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't have water. That's right. well, scary. The, the bottom line, if there is an Excellent. injury, run cool water over a burn and get that person to the emergency room as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. That is very, very important. Hey, are you ready to deal with medical issues in times of trouble? Well, if you get a copy of our Amazon bestseller, The Survival Medicine Handbook, you'll get a head start in any disaster or epidemic You'll get all sorts of important tips that'll help keep you and your family healthy. And it's all in plain English. Imagine that. So put old Dr. Bones, that lovely nurse Amy, in your survival library. Just head over to Amazon.com or you can get a copy personally autographed to you personally. Yes. By going to our website at doomandbloom.net. And if you love your Kindle almost as much as your collection of Game of Thrones action figures <laughs> well you can find our book on amazon and digital we version as well we, you know, our children do and unfortunately our children are adults, adults. <laughs> now if you bought the survival medicine handbook second edition from amazon you can get a kindle copy for only two dollars and 99 cents through its matchbook program check it out at over 200 five-star reviews at amazon.com i just want to mention one more thing about the uh, personal copy if someone orders it, if you'd like to order a gift for someone, send me a note in the checkout and just write who you would like the book written to, what you might want us to say, you know, happy birthday, Joe, uh, be safe and live long and prosper. <laughs> live long and prosper. I like that. I hope somebody will, will order a book and, and ask us to write live and long we'll, and prosper. We'll sign our names. So if you want something special written just let us know we're happy to do it i've i've written happy birthday and and several other things in books uh that weren't just our normal signage so feel free to have it personalized personalized all right well sounds awesome well let's see what else oh you know what since we're talking about fireworks injuries i mentioned that the majority of those were burns yes. why don't we talk a little bit about burn Excellent. injuries this time in uh, austere or survival settings. Okay. Now, you know, of course, most injuries associated with fireworks or burns, we talked about that. And in stable times, you can get that person or anybody else with a burn injury um, 
to the local emergency room without too much of an issue. But if we find ourselves off the grid due to a catastrophe, you know what? We're not going to have that option. Now, we're going to be cooking out in the open more frequently, doing all sorts of stuff that we're not used to doing, and the potential for burn injuries will rise exponentially. Especially uh, when you're using those cast iron pots. Oh, yeah. Everyone is Dutch used to the, stuff, yeah. the um, handles that right. don't get hot when you're cooking inside a house. But when you put the cast iron pots, guess what? The handle gets just as hot as the bottom of the pan sometimes. It depends on where the handle is. And if you're not used to it, you may grab it by accident. So it, I, will, I do see more injuries occurring uh, because of cooking, especially. And you know that if, if you're making a campfire and you have little kids, boy, those kids are just loving that campfire. They're just you know, they're like moths. They're drawn to the camp, drawn to the fire. It's the same thing I'm talking about. they certainly get in trouble. With fireworks. Right. Things that are bright and colorful and the fire crackles and it's mysterious. It attracts children, definitely. Absolutely. Well, you know, working knowledge of burns and their treatment's got to be a standard skill for anybody that's going to be medically responsible in times of trouble. Now, the severity of burns depends on the percentage of the body surface that's burned and on the degree or intensity of the burn injury itself. Now, ordinarily, you're taught something called the rule of nines in that body parts are separated out into nine or 18 percent increments. The torso is like 18 percent, the leg is nine, yeah, right. a arm is nine, yes. arm and shoulder, uh, and so on and so on. But you know what? I think this practice is going to be of relatively limited usefulness in a survival setting. It's good for reporting to the paramedic. You know, if you're in the wilderness and you can get somebody out of there, then you can do that. But otherwise, let's just concentrate on learning to identify burns by the degree of their the of the intensity or severity so the most common system uses first second and third degree to distinguish each although there are systems that Go have a fourth, fourth degree exactly and, and i think even sixth degree yeah, i think i've, I've seen, seen that too others so so that's basically i think that's that's a little bit too much for our purposes. I think first, second, and third is going to be good. Let's talk about what they are. Now, first degree burn is your typical sunburn. They're superficial. They only involve the uh, epidermis, which is the part of the skin that you can see, the superficial layer. And these burns are going to be very common. Uh, injury appears red. It'll be warm and dry. It'll be painful to the touch. If you've ever had a sunburn, you know what I'm talking about. That's it. Classic is sunburn. Right. Now, you're going to want to place a, a, a cool, moist cloth or some second skin to the area spenko makes that uh, that'll give some relief so will anti-inflammatory medicines like ibuprofen aloe vera is an effective treatment and the discomfort goes away after 24 hours or so maybe a little longer you know as long as only the superficial layer is affected mm -hmm. now there's a second degree burn too and we call that a partial thickness burn because that's burned partially through the skin layer not only the superficial but now it's affecting the deep layer of the skin called the dermis. Now you'll see areas in this circumstance that appear moist and painful. Um, they'll have blisters. These blisters usually have reddened bases and the damaged skin is going to have a tendency to weep, sort of clearish or wet. whitish it's fluid. Look wet. It'll look very wet, right? Wet, wet with 
possible blisters. Exactly. And then there are third degree burns. Of course, these are really some very severe burns. You can call the full thickness burns because it has gone through both the superficial and deep layers of the skin. And deeper structures are now affected like subcutaneous fat, muscle, even bone. That's a fourth degree burn in some circumstances. Now, the burn may appear indented if significant tissue has been lost. You may see that in a third degree burn. You have to remember you've lost your body's armor, and that's the skin. And this is going to cause loss of fluids from your system. And that's going to lead to dehydration. So that's a so a big issue here is going to be dehydration, and you need to give fluids. And unfortunately, for third degree burns, going to be mostly intravenous fluids that are going to make a difference to keep your patient stable. And infection over time and the burn is also going to be seen because you've lost your body's armor, and so your defense against it is pretty much gone. So anyhow, when a person gets burned, it's important to remove the heat source immediately. Okay, I really don't have to tell you that. But you want to determine the degree of the burn very quickly. For a first-degree burn, you have identified that it just affects the part of the skin that you see. It's dry, it's warm, it's painful to the touch. It looks like a sunburn, I guess. It may be in a small area, but or it could be an all-over sunburn. In this circumstance, you want to run cool water over the burn for five minutes or longer. A cool bath works better with torso burns for first-degree burns. Cool water is preferable to ice, remember, for any burns because ice is more traumatic to the skin. The skin is already damaged, but ice causes more trauma to the skin than just cool water. Uh, ibuprofen is good for pain relief. Acetaminophen or Tylenol is good too. You can apply anesthetic ointment like benzocaine and or aloe vera to school, uh, soothe the skin. There are a lot of other natural remedies. We'll talk a little bit about those later. Antibiotic ointment and non-stick dressings will protect the burned area. They are absolutely necessary in first-degree burns, but they may be helpful in some circumstances. And have the person wear light cottons or silks to help prevent further skin irritation. You have to remember the first-degree burns will resolve over 24, 48, maybe more time, 48 hours more time than that, uh, if you just do what I just mentioned. Now, <clears throat> second degree burns require more intervention. When you see that the burn is wet, skin looks a little thick and swollen, um, weeping, blisters are present, you wanna run cool water over the burn for 15 minutes or longer, and you want to remove any rings or bracelets because significant swelling is bound to occur. Uh, ibuprofen, uh, acetaminophen, they're still good for pain, but you can also apply hydrocortisone cream, 0.5% is pretty good. There's something called silvadine ointment, which contains the antibiotic silver, or, or antibiotics, if you want to call them, silver and sulfadiazine. Uh, there's and, also a silver solution gel by right, Curad, right. which you can get over the counter. Right, which we is have very that, soothing. and we have that in a number of our kits. Yes. Right. So th these are some of the items that you can use for burns. Honey, now, don't forget right, the we're honey. We're going to talk. That's natural stuff. We're going to talk about oh, that. Oh, good. Okay, excellent. A, I'm so glad you're little, not forgetting yeah, that. Yeah, I am not. For, <laughs> have not forgotten that. Of course, I haven't. Now, uh, if by the way, silvadine does have a sulfur uh, drug in it, so if you're allergic to sulfur drug, do not use silvadine. Now, moist skin dressings like Spenco Second Skin may give some relief, but I want you to avoid, especially in these circumstances, cotton gauze. That sticks to the skin. It's painful to remove. There are non-stick dressings like Telfa pads, T-E-L-F-A pads. These are much more appropriate 
for these kinds of burn injuries. I mean, uh, on a personal note, I can tell you that when I was a kid, I got a pretty bad second degree burn on my back and my mom, uh, you know, thinking she was doing a good thing for me, put a, a gauze dressing on it, regular cotton gauze. And when she removed it later on, it took about six inches of my skin off. Man, it was bad news. Now, the, about the blisters, you don't have to land small blisters, not really necessary. Large, tense ones that, uh, that are particularly uncomfortable certainly can be lanced. I would lance them at 4 and 8 o'clock if you're going to do it. It helps facilitate drainage. Uh, these blisters, by the way, probably will burst on their own in any case, but this way you can, you can control this a little better. And uh, don't remove the skin over the blister. It provides a little protection to the raw skin underneath. So I think that that might be a good strategy for second degree burns. Now in a third degree burn, you know, you've got a big problem. Nerves may have been injured, probably have to the point where they, the person that's injured may not feel a lot of pain in the middle of the injury. Actually, if they feel pain, they could, might probably feel it at the edges where the nerves are damaged, but not, but still intact. And that could be excruciating, could be really bad pain. It, it is really variable. Now, as little as 10% of body surface affected by a third degree burn could cause a fatality. As a matter of fact, a third degree burn that's probably bigger than the thickness of a cigar, an inch or two in diameter, probably is at the point where you would need advanced medical care like skin grafts and things like that. So if there is a modern medical facility, for goodness sake, get the person to it. A lot of medical sites won't even tell you what to do with a third degree burn. But, you know, in our situation, we're assuming that you can't get to a hospital and there is no doctor or hospital available. So what can you really do to help in these circumstances? You might still be able to help by elevating the burn injury above the level of the heart, as well as putting the patient in the shock position in which the feet are 12 inches above the level of the heart. You should cover the person to prevent hypothermia, loss of body core heat. Yeah, person with burn injuries, sure enough, gets hypothermia. They lose heat from the body core. So for this reason, in severe burns, third degree burns especially, don't immerse a victim in cold water because you will cause a major hypothermic. You can kill them just from the hypothermia. So they can go into shock. Now, if the clothing uh, on them is smoldering, for goodness sake, take it off. If it's not smoldering but it's and stuck to the skin, if it's easy to take off, that's fine. But if it's stuck to the skin, don't remove it. And uh, rings and bracelets, as I mentioned, for second-degree burns, you got to get rid of those because there's going to be swelling. ASAP, because yeah. that swelling comes on fast. Can, right, exactly. Really fast in exactly. third-degree. And uh, you want to protect the burned area. You want to put some kind of covering on it, Spenko second skin, Silvadine, and non-stick sterile dressings on top might be good. Interestingly, uh, a lot of you may have uh, Celox gauze, which is the blood clotting gauze. Celox, not quick clot, but Celox, uh, if you wet it, forms this uh, gel. gel slimy dressing mm -hmm. right. that actually works pretty good as a burn dressing. It's a reasonable uh, burn dressing. And uh, and as, we, as Amy mentioned, honey is also something that you might be able to put on the burned area with a plastic wrap covering. Now, you want to keep the person well hydrated. You would, this prop with a major third degree burns, gosh, that's only going to be probably possible with IV fluids. And this person is going to get infected, period give them antibiotics to prevent and treat infections. Now, treating burns without a medical system available, that's going to require rapid action, close observation, severe fluid losses are going to be a big issue. 
are going to lead to dangerous consequences. Do everything you can to keep them well hydrated. And the damage to the skin leaves so many people at the mercy of all sorts of infectious agents, especially out in the wild. So watch for fevers and other signs of infections. Now, it's important to realize that conventional medical resources may not be available after a disaster. You may run out of them very quickly, or you may uh, just be in an area where you just don't have them. Uh, a successful medic will have, have supplies and will ensure that everyone has some knowledge regarding alternate burn treatments. And there are various plants that have properties that allow you to improve burn healing, even if no modern medical supplies are available. Now, although of limited use for severe burns, many first and second degree burns will respond to their effects. Now, you're going to talk, I want you to talk about honey in a second, but I'll want to mention first aloe vera. Yes. Aloe vera. Fantastic. Studies have shown that aloe vera helps new skin cells form, speeds healing, and is an excellent option for first and second degree burns. If you have an aloe plant, cut off a leaf, open it up, either scoop out the gel or rub the leaf directly on the burned area. Uh, carefully and reapply four to six times daily with or without a bandage covering covering uh, fast relief simplicity mm-hmm. right yep these are the things that you're looking for and aloe vera can give that to you these plants by the way are difficult to kill even we've got a bunch of plants they're hard to kill down here but of course you if you live in alaska i don't know if you're going to be able to grow aloe vera plants yes maybe if you have a greenhouse Oh, yeah, actually, you know, you're right. Never underestimate the the, power of gardening. (laughs) No, the thinking power of a prepper woman. Yes. Yep, and you know what else can help as a treatment for burns is vinegar. How about that? You might not have thought vinegar was useful as a treatment for burns, but it's good for a lot of medical reasons. Vinegar works as an astringent, an antiseptic, and it helps to prevent infections. The best way to use vinegar on smaller sized burns is make a compress with about half vinegar and half cool water and cover the burn until the compress feels warm and then re-soak it, cool it off again, and reapply it. There's no limit to how many times you can apply vinegar soaks to burns. Now, another method is a cool bath with a little vinegar added. Start with tepid water, let the water cool off while the patient's soaking. If the burn's on the central body area, you might want to use a cotton t-shirt soaked in vinegar and then wring it out. Now, this method is especially useful as a treatment while sleeping. So that's something that might work for you. I hope that you're not sharing a bed with anybody, though, because <laughs> it, it, unless they like vinegar. Well, you smell like a tossed salad. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I guess so. Now, another cooling off treatment for burns is witch hazel compresses. Now, use the extract of the bark that it decreases inflammation. will certainly soothe the first-degree burn. Well, soak a compress in full-strength witch hazel, apply it to the burned area, reapply as frequently as desired, and there are a lot of other a lot of other natural methods as well. Let's talk about honey. I really think honey is awesome with regards to this. Now, where's my honey? Oh, here it is. Okay. I have all this stuff on hey, right in front of me, but it's all in this big giant pile. If you ever wonder what I'm doing, you're overwhelmed here, with papers. If honey. I if I hesitate, it's because I've got a million papers here in front of me, and I am <clears throat> as organized as uh, any doctor, no, which will tell you you're very organized. No, I think you are. Well, I think one of the best natural remedies that's useful in treating burns is honey. Honey in its raw, unprocessed state 
is best to use because of its antibacterial and hydrating properties. Honey has an acidic pH. It's inhospitable to bacteria. Therefore, it will help prevent and even treat infections in many wounds. Now, here's how to use honey. Immediately after the first 15-minute cooling down with water period treatment, uh, apply a generous amount of honey in a thick layer all over the burned area. Cover the honey with cling wrap plastic waterproof dressings. Use tape to hold the dressing in place. If the dressing fills up with fluid oozing out of the wound, then you're going to have to change the dressing. You have to do this from time to time. The worse the burn, more frequently that it will be clear it needs to be changed. This will be done for probably about a week. Uh, you'll change the dressing probably about three times a day or so. And this is something that is important to do in circumstance. And the great thing about it is that this is stuff that you can all find in nature. Another thing that you could use is black tea leaves. Black tea leaves have something called tannic acid, and that helps draw heat from a burn. There are several methods uh, that you can use black tea as a burn treatment. You put two to three tea bags in cool water for a few minutes, use the water with compresses, or just apply the liquid to the burned area. You can mix three or four tea bags, two cups of, let's say, fresh mint leaves, four cups of boiling water, strain it into a jar, allow it to cool, and then dab the mixture on burned skin with a washcloth. Uh, if your patient has to be mobile, make a stay-in-place poultice out of two or three wet tea bags. Simply place cool tea bags, wet tea bags, that is, directly on the burn and wrap them with a piece of uh, nonstick gauze and some tape to hold them in place. Both milk and yogurt also have been used to help cool and hydrate the skin after a burn. Absolutely. Uh, wrap whole milk or full-fat yogurt uh, inside uh, nonstick gauze cheesecloth cheese sometimes. Cheesecloth, uh, yep, exactly. will be good. Use that as a compress. You replace the compress as the yogurt gets warm. And whole milk compresses can be used the same way. And so these are just some of the methods. Other time-honored remedies include oatmeal baths, uh, calendula, cotton ash, paste, um, there are two essential oils that can be used uh, on first or second degree burns, lavender and tea tree oils. I would probably blend the tea tree oil with a carrier oil. Yes, exactly. That's one thing I would probably do. That's, I Maybe think, with coconut oil. Yes, might I think be nice. that is, a, and I would definitely mix that. Lavender sometimes is used full strength on on a burn, uh, but yeah, definitely I would mix, mix tea, tea tree, tree oil. Tea tree is a right. little strong, and actually yes. tea tree can cause an irritation and uh, certain people. So if the burn seems to get a little worse with the tea tree, stop using it. That's one Go thing. Go to something else. Right. That's one thing about essential oils and some of the natural remedies is that they really, their effects really vary from individual to individual. And some people may be helped significantly by these items, uh, natural items that I mentioned. And some people may not get as good an effect. And so have conventional burn remedies available and also know about the alternative burn remedies because you want to use all the tools in the medical woodshed. That's Absolutely. One of my, one of my favorite sayings. There. So for, for me, for storage purposes, I would say if you were worried about burns, you would definitely want to have the two essential oils we we're talking about, lavender and tea tree. I would absolutely keep raw unprocessed honey. That is going to be your go-to for burns, cuts, and lacerations. So we're talking about burns here, second and third degree, that is going to be your go-to treatment. More and more hospitals are starting to use something called Medi-Honey. Um, it is uh, 
essentially raw honey that's um, had some treatment so that it doesn't have uh, any kind of spores in it. We worry about botulism in the raw and processed honey. And I would also try to get a, an aloe vera plant cultivated. Keep it in your house, uh, even if there's a survival situation. If you can keep it covered in some plastic wrap, which we'll all have some plastic wrap, you can create your own little greenhouse, and it is amazing. So keep those, and uh, I think you should be pretty good. And also, uh, besides the big buckets of raw and processed honey, keep lots of apple cider vinegar. I'm sure you heard us speak about apple cider vinegar before. Lots and lots of different, right. different remedies, and uh, this is one of them for the first-degree burns. Now, one thing to know is that butter or lard, which is no. commonly used for burns right. in the past, they Bad. hold in heat. They're not helpful for burns. Egg whites also used can lead to infection. So treating burns without a medical system available, that's going to require rapid action, close observation, and as many supplies as you possibly can. You know what? We're going to take a short break. You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones, and Amy Alton, ARNP, also known as Little Miss Wonderful. <laughs> You're listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Amy Alton and some old guy. <laughs> I just want to say a great big thank you to all the great networks that carry our show, the, especially the Prepper Broadcasting Network, the USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, Survival Central Radio, Shake and Wake Radio, and AroundTheCabin.com. Of course, you can listen to our archived audio podcast when it's convenient for you just by clicking the podcast button on our website at www.doomandbloom.net. And we want to thank our listeners for checking out our entire line of medical kits and supplies at our shop at store.doomandbloom.net. These are designed by Nurse Amy and by myself, and there's something there for every need at a reasonable price. Take a look, fill those holes in your medical storage, and listen, if you've got the time to put this stuff together on your own, don't buy it from us, you lazy bum. <laughs> Just get the stuff on the list that we freely publish. And that's what I got to say about that. You know what? It's time for Nurse Amy to talk a little bit about 
natural remedies as well. I'm going to talk about chamomile. And you want to talk about chamomile? Um, so yeah. let's go ahead and I want to learn a little bit more from the expert. Well, I know this is July 4th, but I still like to mention herbal remedies. So today we're going to discuss chamomile. Chamomile is an herb that comes from a flowering plant from the daisy family. Both the fresh and dried flowers of chamomile have been used to create teas for centuries to cure a number of health problems, and some of those we're going to discuss today. The active ingredient in chamomile essential oil is known as bisabolo. Now, if I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sorry, but I cannot find anywhere that shows me exactly how to pronounce that word. So for now, it's bisabolol, and it's B-I-S-A-B-O-L-O-L. And it has properties that are both an anti-irritant, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial. So what are the benefits of chamomile? Chamomile can be used topically or orally to treat a number of everyday ailments, such as insomnia and other sleep disorders, anxiety and panic attacks, muscle twitches, wounds, burns, and scrapes, skin conditions such as psoriasis, eczema, chickenpox, and diaper rash, stomach problems such as menstrual cramps, stomach flu, and ulcers. What are the uses of chamomile? Home remedy for stomach cramps. Chamomile has been found to contain fairly strong antispasmodic and anti-inflammatory constituents. Therefore, it has been found to be effective in treating stomach and intestinal cramps. Simply prepare a cup of chamomile tea using the directions on the package and drink it twice a day until and while symptoms are present. One cup first thing in the morning and one cup in the evening. So what's a home remedy for insomnia? Chamomile is a wonderful remedy for sleep disorders such as insomnia. Simply make a chamomile tea 30 to 45 minutes before going to bed to treat sleeplessness. Chamomile reduces cramping and pain in the bowels and therefore is great for irritable bowel syndrome. It helps to relieve gas and bloating in the intestines. Therefore, a simple remedy is to drink a cup of chamomile tea to relieve irritable bowel syndromes nausea, and gastroenteritis, or stomach flu. Home remedy for migraine headaches. Chamomile is a wonderful cure for migraines. Take a cup of tea when you start noticing the symptoms of a migraine headache. It works best if you take it before the headache actually gets severe. Home remedy for PMS and menstrual cramps. Drinking chamomile tea has been found to be beneficial in treating PMS and menstrual cramps. Antibacterial properties are really an important part of the use of chamomile. It has been proved to have antibacterial, antifungal, and antiviral qualities as well. So if you have a sore throat or sores in your mouth, you may find using it as a mouthwash is both refreshing and soothing and also will help you heal faster. It can also be used externally as a poultice for any skin disorders or infections. However, if making it for external use is at least three times as strong as if you're making it to drink. Using chamomile to treat burns and scrapes. Chamomile oil is very useful in treating bad burns. Simply rub a small amount of oil gently across the burn area once a day. For scrapes and burns, you can also brew a strong concoction by adding three tea bags to one cup of boiling water. When the water cools, dip a cloth into it and use it as a compress on the wounded area. For pink eye treatment, use a wet tea bag on affected eye for 10 minutes every 2 hours or make a strong tea, allow to cool, and apply a compress just like the tea bag. 
Other pink eye treatments include making a honey solution with one tablespoon of honey in two cups of water to dissolve. Allow to cool and apply a compress just like the tea bag. Both the chamomile tea or the honey solution can be used as an eye wash solution with an eye cup. Golden seal or eye bright tea may also be used as a substitute for chamomile. So what are the side effects of chamomile? As with all herbal products, moderation is the key to avoiding adverse reactions. Some of the potential side effects of chamomile include drowsiness. You use it with caution if you are driving or operating machinery. High doses of chamomile can also cause vomiting and or skin reactions in some individuals. If you are allergic to ragweed pollen or have hay fever, you may have difficulty using chamomile. Using chamomile during pregnancy is not recommended since it is considered to be a substance that may induce abortion. Chamomile is also not recommended if you are currently taking blood thinners since chamomile contains a substance called coumarin which is also a blood thinner. Where and how to buy chamomile? Chamomile can be bought as dried flower heads and infusion, liquid extract, essential oils, in tinctures and in creams or ointments. Tea bags are the most common form and can be found in many mainstream grocery stores and pharmacies. Yeah, that's one of the things I find really awesome about chamomile is that you can actually get this stuff in bulk. I mean, it's not a strange herb that you can only find in certain places. I see Amy is actually showing me a bag of what looks like two pounds of chamomile flowers. It is. Wow. And I'm going to yep. make tinctures out of this. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, that is, <laughs> I think that, see, that is awesome. That is using all the tools in the woodshed. So I'm very, very happy that you're doing that, by the way. I think that is very useful. Hey, you know, I want, I think maybe one of the last things that I want to talk about today on Independence Day is a little bit about our founding fathers. Good. It's not a political statement history. or anything like that, so don't don't shut me off. <laughs> but it is something about history, and I think it's something that we should know. You know, it's we all know famous names like Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Uh, uh, these are some that come to mind. And it's difficult to imagine that any of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776, might not have been celebrated in their time. These were affluent men, they were influential men, uh, they were so well thought of that they were given the power to declare a country carved out from the greatest empire of the time. Now, don't think for a second that these 56 men didn't understand the risks involved in leaving Great Britain. Hostile soldiers were occupying their towns, sometimes their homes. Uh, the new country needed money. Many of those signers loaned millions of dollars to the cause of freedom and their personal wealth, their reputations, their very lives were put on the line. This was high treason. They were in danger. These are people whose lives were in danger. And, you know, the last sentence that Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration of Independence was, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Sadly, for some of the signers, these were forfeited as a result of this brave act. Nine of them paid for their lives. Almost one in three lost their entire fortunes and their homes. Yet none of the 56 ever recanted their decision to sign the declaration or apologize for it, even under duress. Let's talk about the fates of some of these mostly forgotten founding fathers.
This is the first and probably the last time that you'll ever hear any of these names in your life. William Ellery of Rhode Island was one of the first opponents of slavery in his area and had his entire estate burned to the ground by the British. William Floyd of New York escaped the British invasion of New York, leaving behind their home and his entire income. It was then burned to the ground. By the end of the war, the family was destitute and lived in poverty. Francis Lewis of New York. His home and estates on Long Island were destroyed by the British. He and his wife were captured, and she died from illness related to their imprisonment. Lewis Morris of New York. Morris put his entire fortune at the service of the Continental Army. Loyalists confiscated his property, forced him into exile, and he didn't see his family for many years. Philip Livingston, New York, one of the richest Americans in 1776, lost every penny he had as a result of signing the Declaration of Independence. His family was driven from their house by the British, his estate plundered, and he died penniless two years later while still serving in the Continental Congress. John Hart, New Jersey. Hart's wife was dying as he signed the declaration. His efforts to reach her afterwards were thwarted by a British blockade. His 13 children never saw their father again. They were all forced to flee for their lives, and he died in 1779 before the war was ended. Richard Stockton of New Jersey. Judge Stockton was arrested by the British in 1776 and imprisoned in a military stockade. By the time he was released five years later, he was an invalid, and he died as a pauper in Princeton. John Witherspoon, New Jersey, served as the president of the College of New Jersey, now better known as Princeton University. The British responded to his signing the declaration by burning the college library to the ground, and they pillaged the rest of the campus. Robert Morris of Pennsylvania, Morris earned a fortune as a banker and commercial magnate and gave it all away to finance the army and navy. The ships that bought, brought provisions from Europe to the colonies were entirely paid for and provisioned by this man. He also loaned an enormous sum to the Continental Congress when it was on the verge of bankruptcy in 76. He never got his money back and he died in poverty 10 years later. John Morton of Pennsylvania. Despite living in a Loyalist-dominated part of the colony and personally preferring reconciliation with Great Britain, he signed the Declaration of Independence. His neighbors turned on him, and he was never able to return home. Before dying in 1777, the next year, he submitted to Congress what later became known as the Articles of Confederation. Thomas Nelson of Virginia. As American guns shelled the British defenses, Nelson, who was now a general in the Continental Army, saw that they were sparing his house. He lived there, which was General Cornwallis's headquarters. Nelson personally turned a cannon on his home, and he blew it up to show that he was no less willing to sacrifice than his fellow Virginians. He loaned over $2 million to the Continental Congress. None of it was ever repaid, and he died in poverty. The entire South Carolina delegation, all four signatories paid dearly for joining the cause for independence. Edward Rutledge, Arthur Middleton, and Thomas Hayward Jr. were all imprisoned by the British when Charleston was taken in 1780. They were beaten, humiliated, and then released to find their plantations had been burned and pillaged. They were more fortunate than co-signatory Thomas Lynch. He disappeared at sea 
while, seek, while seeking medical help in the West Indies together with his young wife in 1779. Lyman Hall, Georgia. Dr. Hall was a physician and he helped to supply food and provisions for the Continental Army throughout the war. Despite living the furthest away from Philadelphia and of all of the signers, he returned to Georgia, his home state, just once between 1775 and 1780. The British burned his property when they seized Savannah in 1780. Francis Lewis of New York, his wife was captured by the British in 1776 and died as a result of her captivity. Lewis himself lived out his years in poverty, having sacrificed his entire fortune to the cause. Philip Livingston, New York. He and his family had to flee their home to escape the British Army and were never able to return. George Clymer, Pennsylvania. His family fled to escape the British soldiers and they ransacked their house. And finally, Abraham Clark of New Jersey. Two of Clark's sons were officers in the army. They were captured by the British and confined to the prison ship Jersey, where thousands of American captives died. One was held in solitary confinement, given no food. Reportedly, Clark still refused to change his position and support the British crown when they offered to spare his son's lives if he did so. The signers of the Declaration won't be found on any coins or paper currency. Their faces won't be on your stamps, it's unlikely there'll be many colleges or parks named after them. Yet they freely risked all at a time when their country needed them most, at its beginning. The next time you're asked to risk something for your beliefs, think of the forgotten men who bravely assisted at a difficult birth, the birth of the United States. Happy Independence Day. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. To contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.